Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and this is another episode of the Long Run Archives where I'm joined by co-host Brett Hornig and special guest Tim Tollefson to just riff pretty much freeform about the world of mountain ultra trail running for two hours. It should come as no surprise, Tim is a dynamic guest and brought a lot of value and laughs to the conversation, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, By the way, if you follow Tim on social, you know he isn't just a pro athlete. He's also the race director of the Mammoth Trail Fest, which takes place the weekend of September 21st later this year. There's a 50K, a 26K, a hill climb. There's over $30,000 in prize money allocated across the events this year. Uh, The 26K will serve as a national and world series stop for the famous Golden Trail Series. Um, But above all that, Tim has created a bucket list experience for every single runner, regardless of age, ability, background, or competitive intent. So if you have ever wanted to run in the Mammoth area and take part in one of the coolest, and truly, I mean coolest, community gatherings our sport has to offer, head over to mammothtrailfest.com and get signed up. If I was not getting married that weekend, I assure you I would be there as well. Um, I believe registration opens on January 24th and actually stay tuned because uh, we may also have two to three free entries to give out to listeners of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, And Tim did not pay me to say that. I'm I'm a true believer when it comes to the Mammoth Trail Fest. One last thing before we get started, this episode is brought to you by my friends at Rabbit. They are my go-to apparel, not just for all things trail running, but the lifestyle stuff around it too. They're committed to the craft, the community, and it shows and feels in everything they produce. So if you aren't already familiar, go check them out. And if you want to support the podcast in the process, use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout for 20% off your next order. With that, let's get started. We're back with the ninth edition of the Long Run Archives. I am joined by my esteemed encyclopedic colleague, Brett Hornig. Uh, But as has been the case in recent editions of the Long Run Archives, we are joined by uh, an equally esteemed guest to spice up the conversation, to add thoughts, observations that just have somehow escaped the minds of myself and Brett. And in this episode, it is none other than the great Tim Tollefson, friend of the podcast, uh, has been, I think, making... This is your third appearance on the pod, Tim? Sounds about right. Something like that. Yeah. Anyways, great to have you here. Uh, we were talking offline before we hit record here that a lot of this will be ad-libbed, but that's what makes a great long-run archives. I do think the one thing we should cover before we kind of freeform it is, uh, you know, it's January 2023 as we're recording this. It's contract season in the world of mountain ultra trail running, and... Uh, you experienced the change. You were at Hoka for, I think, five or six years, and you have a new sponsor. So can you talk about that? Yeah, new beginnings, new season. Uh, I will be entering a multi-year deal with Kraft, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, you know, it. I wasn't necessarily, well, I guess stepping back, like, you know, I, I had spent six years with Hoka, and we had, uh, I feel like we accomplished a lot together. Uh, I was really happy with a lot of the performances we threw up. Uh, had a lot of failures. Um, but you know, all in all, like I, I look back on that career or that part of my career with a lot of fond memories. Uh, I feel like we, we, you know, pushed some boundaries and came out with some pretty cool products that I loved. And, uh, and so, 
it's, uh, you know, I wasn't initially planning on making a change, but in the final quarter of last year, uh, you know, started exploring some options and, and just kind of like did some internal reflection on, okay, what do I want out of my next few years in the sport? You know, as I enter in what some people may, uh, kind of classify as my sunset years. Um, and, you know, I, I think through discussions, we, we kind of just realized that like, you know, maybe our visions and our values didn't align as much as they used to. And, you know, it was just time to kind of make a change. So I, I started, uh, actually chatting with the people, good friend of, uh, probably, well, good friend of Brett, uh, David Laney and my old teammate from Nike. Um, you know, he, he's been with craft now for, I think almost two years or at least a year and a half. And, um, and like just chatting with him and then getting to, you know, have some conversations with people internally. It really reminded me of the early days at Hoka where like, you know, I had direct communication with Jean-Luc and Nico and, and, uh, I just got excited about the, the, you know, the prospect of building something. Uh, and I think that's something that I've missed the last couple of years. Um, and, and also like, I find that personally as an athlete, I compete my best when like the people in my inner circle really believe in me. And, and I feel like this is just kind of a, a nice, uh, reignition of that fire that like the people in my circle, they truly believe that I'm capable of accomplishing the goals I've, I've written out. And, uh, and I'm just excited to kind of see what this next chapter in my career looks like. All right. I have so many questions off this and Brett, feel free to hop in as you see fit too. But, uh, <laughs> you said, quote unquote, I'm not sure if this, these are your words or, you know, the crowd's words, but that with this contract with uh, Kraft, these are your quote unquote sunset years. Do you actually feel that way or do you feel like <laughs> you're still in this prime season of your ultra running career? Well, I think I, even though I'm a morning person, I think the sunset uh, is kind of like is the prime time of any day or season. So uh, I, I firmly believe that my best days as a competitor are ahead of me. And I think that that's going to, you know, it's going to play out in the next couple of years. Um, but I'm also a realist and I know that, um, you know, I, I can't compete at the highest level forever. You know, we do have a athletic mortality and, and I am getting closer to that, that, uh, probably, you know, threshold than I was a decade ago, um, where I've always felt that every season will get better. If I just do things a little differently or like double down or commit, I will always improve. And I think that in some disciplines, I am kind of up against uh, father time in the sense that I won't necessarily always see improvement with the exception of maybe the hundred mile distance. I think that there is a lot of uh, potential still there. I mean, we see a lot of great women and men in the sport competing in their forties. My first UTMB, Ludo, he was 42 and he kicked my ass, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I, I know there it's there if mentally you still want it. And if physically your body holds, holds together. That's actually a question I have kind of just to rip off that. So you, there's, you think there's a lot more improvement in something like the hundred mile, like beyond what like science might say is our physical peak. Where do you think those improvements are? That because like we see it, like we see people get better at the hundred mile, like into their forties and even fifties. It's like, what what might be the single biggest factor, like determining that kind of improvement? It's definitely mental. It's the psychological aspect of our sport. Um, mm. I I think who was it? Uh, I I hate baseball, but this quote uh, <laughs> sticks out to me. I think I think Babe Ruth said something like, "Baseball is ninety percent mental, and the other half is physical." And I feel like ultra running is essentially, <laughs> yeah. it's like our sport is it, it, that in, 
encompasses our sport very well. Um, and, and I think to that point, likely it's more the central governor and like the, the mental limitations that prevent us reaching peak performance in like a hundred mile distance, uh, than the physical, obviously, uh, you know, you do need physical capacity. Like, I mean, it's, we're not going to, you know, with all due respect, we're not going to get Finn on, on the UTMB start line and he's going to like, you know, throw, throw blows and try and take the title, you know, even if mentally he's like the <laughs> strongest person out there. But I think that, uh, you know, you know, you take a cohort of athletes that are all very similar. What dis- what really distinguishes the, mm-hmm. the people that continually show up, perform or have long careers is a mix of things, but the, the psychological component is huge. Tim, coming going back to the whole sunset years thing, I got I got to hammer this talking point a little bit more. <laughs> uh, I I love I love your writing by the way. The, your Instagram posts, I look forward to them. One of the big themes in your craft announcement post was around sort of this underdog dark horse status. This is two parted. The first part, do you feel like an underdog right now? And then B, are you somebody that benefits from having sort of this foil to operate against as you train for races and get to start lines? Definitely. I, it, it stems just from my entire, like probably from the genesis of my career back in high school. I, I didn't make a state meet, um, as a high school athlete, I never ran at Woodward park. So all the California crushers out there, they know how important that is. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) then I was a walk on, I was a walk on at Chico state and, you know, I, I never was all American. Um, it took me another four years after college before I made the Olympic trials. Um, so I feel like I've always kind of had this like ax to grind of like proving myself. Um, and then even, you know, on the, like the unfortunate side is even as I started to have success, I didn't believe it was enough success probably. And it kept driving me feeling like, Hey, you, you haven't made it. You haven't made it. Um, but I think now, I have been written off by a lot of people again, um, which is strange to say. It's like, you know, you podium at UTMB a couple times and, you know, list some accomplishments, but like to re-earn that underdog status, I think actually is a good thing. Um, because like I said at the beginning, my inner circle has always believed and and I believe, but often when the external world doubts me, I think that's when I get my best performances. So, you know, I, I welcome the haters. I welcome the, the doubt. Um, and I think, uh, <laughs> it, actually back at, uh, I think it was 2015 or 16. This is funny. We'll probably touch on this guy later. Um, there's this guy, Anton, and he was quoted in, uh, he was quoted in some magazine throwing shade <laughs> at all of us Nike guys. And we're like, who the hell? We're no like, way. who is this guy? And then like, I think Laney got third at UTMB, Zach won CCC and I got second. And it was one of those, like, you know, it's just like mic drop. Um, but I, you know, and I say that, you know, tongue in cheek where I think that sometimes those, those narratives can drive you as long as you don't let it, you know, plant a, a, a to, I, you don't want it to plant a seed of doubt that just like it then, you know, cannibalizes your mindset. There was that Billy Yang movie, obviously about the 2015 UTMB. And I think David has a quote in there about how, you know, the, the quote unquote crowd has been doubting and downplaying the Nike team is the source of that. The Anton quote or has, was that being talked about across the industry? I, I think it was, uh, it was prior to that, but, and, and this is a funny thing or an interesting, uh, tidbit where we all have 
a bit of just kind of uh, historical amnesia where as us in 2015, we're like, oh, we're these young, fast kids. This is new to the sport. But it's like you look back every decade into the 70s, there were always fast road marathoners, men and women that were dominating trail events. It's just we have you know, the, the inability to really reflect or like remember some of those great performances. And it's kind, of, it's kind of now it's like we have the Petermans, we have, you know, the the Ninkas, we have all these other great athletes entering the sport. And it's kind of like, well, there there was sort of that similarity in the tw- 2010s, in the aughts, in the 90s, in the 80s, in the 70s. Um, but uh, at that point in the like 2015, there was that narrative going around that like, oh, what are these like, you know, college kids that, you know, should be on the roads? What are they doing in the Alps? Um, and And we got a good laugh out of that. That's a great point. Well, one more thing, Tim, that I want to ask you. If you say sunset one more time, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last Finn Finn's just like that's his new buzzword for like the month. It's just like, oh the sunset years of someone's career. Sunset. Oh my gosh. Um 2023 season planning, 2024, et cetera. The next couple of years with craft. It is it still at the top of your mind to go for a win at Western States, go for a win at UTMB? Like, how are you prioritizing the goals in your career at this point? Definitely, I like, I mean, the dragon I've been chasing for eight years is still hanging around the the Mont Blanc Massif. And, and that's something I continually seek out. And Kraft fully supports me in that vision. And they want to like they're committed to helping me achieve that reality. Um, so that I would say that's, you know, the biggest, biggest goal. And, and I have a storied history with UTMB. I mean, I've been there every year since 2015 and I mean, some years went well and I guess I've, I've, I've had some of the highest highs and the lowest lows you could imagine at UTMB. And I've gone in there, you know, in good mindsets and poor mindsets and, as I've you know really reflected on the last eight years, I know what it's going to take to have success again, and I am making a lot of personal changes to set myself up for that chance. And I'm just thankful that Kraft believes in that, and that you know they're going to support me as a you know as an athlete, but even more so as a human and as just as a person. And so I think that you know all of those puzzle pieces that every now and again have c- clicked and connected. Um, they are starting to kind of take shape again. And I'm excited to see what, you know, kind of the next few years of, you know, writing this masterpiece look like. Um, so, but then, you know, below that, there are a number of races I've wanted to do for a long time. And, and, uh, so there's, there's a list that, you know, I want to start to check off. Well, we got to think about the circadian rhythm of this episode. I'm not going to use the term sunset. We'll use the term circadian rhythm. Uh, <laughs> Brett, what should we cover next? Well, I think one of the things that goes on this uh, checkbox of, I'm just, you, you, I, I haven't used the word that much, the sunset years. Tim, you've got to do a stupidly long FKT <laughs> to just like destroy yourself into retirement. Because I feel like that's just like part, that's yeah. one of the checkboxes. So like, what's, what's the long trail that, uh, that intrigues you? Uh, the JMT or the Numu Poyo. Poyo. Mm. Uh, mm the local one, just cause I mean, a combination it's, it's an amazing stretch of trail. Um, and I mean, there's a long storied history of athletes, a lot of, uh, the Ashland gang coming out and trying to take that record. And, and while 
I do really appreciate and am friends with Francois. I feel like uh, we need to bring the FKT home. And uh, so mm-hmm. I, on like, that's probably the only one that really interests me. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I get bored, honestly. Like, I think that's where I'd lose myself in races sometimes is I'm just like, I'm, I'm kind of bored. Like, let's go do something else. And so like the thought of doing anything longer than 200 miles is absolutely <laughs> like, it's, uh, I would rather, I would rather do so many ridiculously painful things than that. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of in that boat too. Um, not to like hate against anyone that does it, but I, I'm just like, like one, I love racing other people Yeah. too much to do an effort like that at a race effort solo for like, sure. Like, you don't have too many of those in you. And like, I, I love the whole like racing aspect of like standing on the start line and like, yeah, sure. It's like challenging yourself, but like, I feel like I always get more out of myself when there's other people around me to try and compete with. And that's, you know, going off of what you just noted, I like, I'm paid to r- race and run a hundred miles but I love mm. to race 50 K and below like that's for that very reason. I feel like the longer you get, the less of a race it can feel like, and that's not to throw shade at the long races, but it's just a different experience. Like where, you know, I feel like in that 50 K it is literally foot to the, like, like absolutely stomping on the pedal and you cannot make a mistake like for a single second, like it, the adrenaline is running high every move matters, you know, you're, you're ripping turns. Like you just cannot, like if you drop a bottle, you're not going to stop and pick it up. Um, and I think that's something, you know, coming from the background that we have, you know, shared from like track and field and cross country, it's hard to feel that same adrenaline or excitement in the long stuff. It's just like, I know I'm going to die out here. And like, how long can I like endure? And again, that's like a totally different like I have a huge amount of respect for the people that do that continually or the 200 mile races or the, the long trail FKTs, but that's just not where, where my interests or skill set are. There's that same exact parallel with like so many people getting introduced to track and field. It's like everyone wants to be a hundred meter runner. <laughs> like, but like you, you realize you have no chance when you actually run a hundred. Then you're like, okay, the 200, okay, I'll keep moving up. Yeah. And then you get to trails and you're like, oh, the 50 K or even sub ultra, like that's the sprint. And then finally you go and run something like UTMB and you're like, damn it. I'm really good at this. Yeah. Shoot. So <laughs> Tim, were you, were you building the mammoth? Like speaking of mammoth trail fest for a second, there's no hundred K distance. There's no hundred mile distance. Were you building that series sort of in honor of your preferences in the sport? Like these sub ultra distances? I guess it's like for a, a writer or a, uh, you know, an artist, it's like, write what you know, you know, and I do have a permit for a hundred K and we like, I, I love maps. So I've mapped out hundred mile races. I've mapped out hundred K's multiple 50 K's. Uh, but I think, you know, it was kind of a combination one I had never put on a race before. So I, and I'm very practical in how I approach things where I think, you know, Hey, let's start with something that seems manageable. You know, it, like my career, I started with a 50 K I wasn't one of those people that signed up for a 50 mile or a hundred miler in the first year. Um, and so I, I thought, well, let's start off with that. And then also 
I do. I, I enjoy that competitive side, but I also, I'm all about growth of the sport and I want to welcome more people into this amazing discipline that has changed my life. And, and I realize that how we get to people is through the subaltra distance. I feel like it's, it's pretty intimidating to ask someone that doesn't really understand or is interested in trail running to sign up for something you know, that's going to take them 24 hours or longer. But if we can like use this as a vehicle into our sport and into our community through a two hour, six hour, 12 hour race, I think that's how we're going to expand our overall, uh, just community, our fan base, and hopefully create a sport that is sustainable for the next generation of athletes. I have a comment that involves bringing up Anton, but Brett, do you have anything you want to say first? Um, no, I think I was I was ready to kind of get into that. I think that's that's like bullet but, point number three. But on what my, Bre- I agree with Google Doc. I agree with Brett. Though it's like we all like um, we level up in distance when we realize we can't be competitive at the shorter stuff. Like if I like in college, if I had been a better eight hundred meter runner, I would have not have done you know the five ten. Mm. Like it's just. I, I feel like it's you, you start to gravitate where you may, may, may find some success uh, because it's more fun if you feel like you're accomplishing something that you're proud of or other people externally are, are impressed by. I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah, totally. But it would be certainly nice to be able to focus on the event that you also happen to be really good at. Um, kind of like yeah. what you said, you're like, I get paid to run like 100 milers, but I would I would just love for it to be 50Ks. But, you know. And like you always hear so many people are like, oh yeah, my favorite event is the one that I run. It's like, is it really though? <laughs> or like, do you just have, is that just having to be the one that you're best at? Yeah. I, I think we have to tell ourselves some, some white lies here and there. Um, but also I think that there is going to be a future for the sub ultras um, or just like that middle ground ultra distance to get the recognition that it deserves. But you have a permit for a hundred K. I do. Wow. When could that be put into place? Yeah, that is cool. When do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> I would sign up. I don't know. It's, I mean, the, the thing is, and I, I recognize it you know, and, and mammoth it's, you know, it's a place you have to travel to. So if we can offer longer stuff, people are more likely to probably commit right. to make, take, making a big trip. Um, so I, I appreciate that. And I do want to have, you know, some longer events. I, I just think that, um, you know, it's something that I continually reflect on, you know, I, I guess like everything that I'm trying to do, I ask myself first, is this good for the community? Is it right for the community at this moment in time? And trying to let those dictate where we take the event and the overall just kind of like Eastern Seer running scene. Yeah. Um, because I, I feel pretty, you know, protective of, of just everyone here locally. And I want to make sure that we do things thoughtfully, uh, that we positively grow our, our footprint and that we don't, you know, suddenly, you know, I, I want to learn as we go and develop and, and have areas to grow into. I don't want to just expand and offer something and have it be subpar um, or worst case affect the overall user experience of the runners, the, our local community or all of our other parties involved. So just trying to like, you know, learn as we go. Cause I, I'm only one year into the race directing thing. There's, there's a lot I don't know. I do like what you said there though, about uh, how we get people into the sport, how we grow the sport is through the sub ultra distance and, uh, I want to bring up this Anton quote. So there's a movie that 
just came out. It's about Adrian McDonald. You know, it's about him winning Leadville for the second year in a row, ran like low 16 hours there. And early on in the movie, you know, Anton's sitting in a chair, kind of leaning back. He, he says this casually, but he says, quote, I think the 100-mile distance has become the only relevant distance in the sport. All the other stuff isn't as respected as much from a resume-building standpoint or is seen as a stepping stone building towards a goal 100-mile race, end quote. And I might, I might have paraphrased a little bit there, but that's the gist of it. I'll also say, like, in terms of tone, it wasn't like condemning other distances. It was kind of like matter-of-fact observation. Tim, you just talked about how these subultra distances serve as a, as a growth factor. He could have meant it from like a competition standpoint or just from like a pure ultra standpoint. When you saw that quote or watched the movie, did you have any initial thoughts there or takes? Coming across the quote first on Instagram through you, I, oh, I guess comparing that to when I actually watched the film, I was like, I just, it highlighted how out of context social media platforms can make discussions because it, it like the, the long thread of people basically just like throwing stones at each other. Um, and then like, I loved, I mentioned this to you. I loved how it then became like an argument over a hundred miles versus 94 miles versus 106 and then kilometers. And I was yeah, like, like, I'm like, no, UTMB is not a hundred miler. I'm like, what, what, what is happening here? You know, like, but it, it just kind of like commute, like, humorously highlighted some of the the limitations of social platform engagement. And then um, I like when I watched the film, I was like, what Anton said was totally like it, like it, it wasn't it had no malintent. Right. Um, and I, I, I really think that people were getting hung up on just, you know, the, the verbiage he chose, which if anyone's ever sat for an interview, what the words you say are like forever cemented into the audio or video space and it can be like they those can be taken out of context but after i guess thinking about it i i don't think he like if he had made a i don't think he well he doesn't have to do anything but if if you had just replaced only with most in that sentence i think that a lot of this conversation would have been maybe a little more um right. positive in discussion where people just we we tend to get offended by things and feel like we're personally attacked because a lot of people love the hundred mile distance and it's like, he wasn't, or I mean, a lot of people love the 50 K distance and below, and he wasn't throwing shade on those, but he was highlighted. And I don't think he's wrong in that the media cares more or the media covers more of the long ultras. I mean, that's what right. enticed me to start doing that stuff. I, like I said, I didn't, I would rather run Zagama and all these short course races, but at the early part of my career, that's not where opportunity was. And, you know, I, I was, you know, chasing opportunity. And so that meant longer distances. Um, I don't think that they're any more relevant, but I do think that they are given more exposure and that can lead to more opportunity. Brett, how about you? Yeah. Um, having now read your quote taken out of context on Twitter. And for one, I feel like that's the biggest exchange of back and forth, like just most total comments of anything you've ever put on Twitter, Finn. So kudos to you for setting a new personal best in uh, the form of argument. Um, I did watch the movie uh, the other night as well to get like the full scope of it. And especially looking, because Anton's a two-time Leadville champ especially the era that he came into the sport and for, you know, there was a lot less media coverage around this sport as a whole, as there is now 
it was even more so pigeonholed under like just a handful of hundred milers. And it's like, if you want to be doing this even part-time, you need to be winning these hundreds by like hours. And like, that's definitely like the upbringing that he came from. And also, I mean, it doesn't help, or I guess it helps him that he also happened to be very good at running hundreds. If he sucked at running hundreds, he probably wouldn't be saying a hundred milers are the only relevant event. Um, but you know, Tim kind of going back to what you said, it's, it is, it's so much of it is just where the media and like the storylines have all gotten drawn. And we've, you know, if you look at running an ultra marathon, if you just like YouTube, an ultra marathon, hundred milers are usually what comes up the most. And like, that's what you see the images of, and that's just what gets thrown at you. So then that narrative is already getting written for you and that, oh yeah, I guess if I do my end game ultra is a hundred miler, which, um, doesn't have to be the case in any means. Um, I like kind of paralleling it to like the track and road things. It always seemed like right now, the hundred mile distance kind of seems to be where marathon is at where like, there's the most money and most opportunity and just like the road marathon, but that you don't like, that doesn't necessarily mean every single person in the sport, like, you know, is going to be a marathoner. I mean, I think, I feel like, like Joe Klecker and Grant Fisher could probably knock out an amazing marathon if they want to, but like, they're actually just kind of making the choice to stay in the 5,000 and 10,000, even if, you know, they could do a whole career of running on the track and that might not pay out as well as winning like one marathon major. And I think a lot of that can go into like as, as stakeholders in a sport, like having systems and frameworks to support that development in, in other disciplines, you know, cause like in the track and field world now, unless you're that NCAA champ or multi-time, you know, sometimes champ, you're not going to get an individual contract. So you're going to start looking at, okay, can I join a team or can I advance onto the roads, you know, cause there's more opportunity suddenly on the road, even though, you know, you're a 13, 15, 5k guy. Um, you know, it's, or now like a 15 woman in college, you know, it's not guaranteed that they're going to get a, a contract. So they might go to the, the roads quicker, or we're going to start to see, and probably, you know, I, I recently listened to Finn, you chat with Andy Wacker and it's, and I think, you know, what he's doing with the trail team is really cool. And a lot of us probably individually have had these thoughts of like, Hey, how do we develop young athletes and give them resources so they can realize that there's a life outside of track and field or road racing if they want to explore another option. Um, because I think that's where you're ultimately, it's kind of like the, um, you know, in, in the, in the U S the, the largest participatory like sport is track and field, like in high school, like there are so many kids that do it, but then it's almost nobody continues on after high school because it's hard. There's no, real opportunity for them. But that means we lose a lot of potential talent. And if, as a fan of the sport, I'd love to see more of that talent stay in so that we can see it develop over time. I wanted to make this comment, but then throw the question back out to YouTube because you guys know the road world and the track and field scene way better than I do. One thing that struck me in the comment section of this tweet was how interconnected so many people feel between like the VK distance in our sport and let's say the hundred mile distance. And I guess I'm wondering, is there that same level of unity between like the road marathon and like the mile distance or the 800 meter event? Like do, when, 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 when fans of 
the road and the track world talk, do they feel like those are kind of separate worlds or do they feel intertwined? Because I was just shocked by how uh, expansive people treated our sport. Whereas I feel like there's like subcultures that should be appreciated, like the ultra versus sub ultra distance. Go for it, Brett. You start. I'll piggyback off it. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I think I kind of remember reading some of that soul thing. They're like, if you think that the hundred mile is the marquee, you know, the only relevant distance in trail running, then you're not a true fan (laughs) of the sport, which that then, then all of a sudden it, it started rabbit holing down the definition of what makes a true (laughs) fan of the sport. And like, all I could think of was that's not a thing. There is no defined true fan of the sport. Like, yeah, like I love track and field, but no, I can't name the top three people in the world, men and women for every single event. Um, I, I could, and I know I could name it for a handful of the distance events and some of the sprints, but like, I definitely lack in some of the field events. Um, so am I not a true fan of the sport? Like, am I not allowed to have like a favorite niche within Probably, that? probably not. Probably not. <laughs> oh, well, never mind then. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a ridiculous prospect to throw out there. Like, it's kind of like I pull. You could pull up the definition, but like, what is what is fan? It's probably just like someone that admires something, right? So it's like, do you admire this sport or the hundred milers or the VKs or the, the, the 1500 meter runners and the marathoners? Like, then you're a fan. It's kind of, it's kind of like we're splitting, we're, we're going down, like you said, that rabbit hole of just like throwing shade and almost, I don't know if we could make up a word like the smallification of our sport. Like we're becoming snobs if we say, oh, you're not a true fan because you don't know these things. Like true fan. Cause like I I'd say Des is a true fan of sport, but like she's getting into commentary and she will probably print out page upon page upon page upon page note, like notes to prepare for a single broadcast of like a track 5k. She doesn't retain all of that knowledge you know, by the next weekend that she like hops on the mic again, but that doesn't mean she's less of a fan. Like, cause there's so much information and knowledge out there. You just, unless you are, you know, rain man, you're not going to retain everything. <laughs> um, but I think that, uh, it's, it is kind of a silly fight to, to start to, to argue about like what makes a fan. And I promise I'm not asking for reassurance here with this comment, but like one of the biggest, you're not a fan. <laughs> One of the one mm-hmm. of the biggest criticisms we get on this show is like you're totally neglecting, abandoning the sub ultra world, but there's no coverage of it. Like you're not talking about the Golden Trail World Series, you're not talking about the World Mountain Running Championships, you're not talking about Broken Air, all that kind of stuff. And my response is always like, that's a whole world in and of itself. There's a massive culture there. There's all sorts of athletes. Um, I don't know. To me, the the niche stuff is good. Like focusing on like your small subset of the world, doing it right, being a fan there. That's, that's good enough, but that's just my, my take. What's the saying? And uh, and you can only spread yourself so thin. Totally. There's that bandwidth issue. Um, and what's the saying? Like half an inch wide, mile deep or something like that. Like, Hey, let's inch wide, mile deep. Let's, let's focus on what we can. And, and this is, I mean, I think, uh, like Dylan, Corinne, Billy, they all got some flack at Western States this year for maybe not covering the middle or back of the pack. And, and again, it's kind of like, Hey, this, I think these, a lot of people that express these concerns, they have good intent and it's not meant to be just like 
totally tearing down, but in social media, it, you lose nuance. Yeah. Um, but there is a, there's just a bandwidth issue, like to, cr- to provide coverage or create something. It's a hard thing to do and you can only do so much. There's it's resource limited. And I think it's, it's easy though, when we feel affected personally, it's like, well, I got left out, so I'm going to let you hear about it, you know, and it's kind of, I, I don't know. I, I think that people in our sport in general have really good intentions and people are doing the best they can. There isn't a ton of money resources or bandwidth out there. So anyone that is doing something, I applaud them for trying. Yeah. Amen. Totally. Except Absolutely. for Finn. I don't really applaud totally. you. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Finn, if you weren't the host of this call, we would have booed you by now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not getting my retainer back, am I? <laughs> no, no. Um, was that, I guess like some like kind of follow up question that's like yeah with I guess with kind of the emerging number of I would say like new media outlets within the sport of trail and ultra running like is is all this I guess quote unquote media competition a good thing? So as a self identified fan, I'd say no. Because I open YouTube in the morning and I'm still looking for content. Like I want to see more. And I think that that's, uh, again, it's kind of the, uh, the rate limiting variable is to produce good content is hard. It takes time. You know, we can't just mm-hmm. churn it out real quick. But in, from that standpoint, I'd say, no, we welcome more people. And to the last uh, kind of topic of, you know, inch wide, mile deep, if, if Finn's going to go an inch wide, mile deep in the 100 miler, we need someone that does the same thing for the VK or the sub ultra or the golden trail series or whatever. So I feel like there is a lot of room for growth and that's probably where there's been, you know, the people that have been competing at the sub ultras and like, you know, doing just enjoying that, that part of this sport, that discipline, yeah. they probably have felt neglected because I run far bless their hearts. They are a small, they were a small operation kind of, you know, basically crowdsourced. It's in the name. (laughs) I run far. Like they're going to do the hundred mile, right? Like they're not trying to do the VK. I don't run high. I run far. Um, and, uh, exactly. But I, I think that because they became the leading voice for, you know, the better part of a decade, they could only cover so much. They covered what they knew and, you know, other people maybe felt neglected. And that's where I think there was plenty of space for more media in this sport. And they can do their inch wide mile deep in the sub disciplines or not sub, in other disciplines. Um, so I, I think that, and through that competition is a good thing. It, it forces all of us to reevaluate where we're at. Are we complacent? Are we producing the best content we can? Uh, you know, should I reevaluate what I'm doing? Should I, you know, take a, a new venture into something else? Um, and so I think competition is healthy and I've enjoyed seeing all the different things out there. And, you know, if it's audio video or whatever format it's, I feel like we could have even more. Yeah, totally. Um, well, this is a great opportunity then for me to introduce you to a new trail running shoe review (laughs) YouTube channel. That's very niche. Uh, it is called conversational pace. Tim, have you heard of the conversational pace YouTube channel? Uh, Finn's dying right now. (laughs) Did we we approve this ad drop? I was, I told Brett, I was disappointed. I, as I was like first starting conversation with Kraft, I wanted to know about their shoes and I couldn't find anything on CP about Kraft. And I was very disappointed. 
I know, you should have just sent me a message because I've actually run and I think just about every <laughs> single craft shoe at this point. Um, and the next review coming out is the craft CTM ultra trail. Okay. It's interesting to me, by the way, going back to your point, Tim, that if you think about all the media companies in our space that exist here in the United States, they've almost all been built around the ultra trail distance. So 50 mile and up. And there haven't been that many, to my knowledge, that have been built specifically for the sub-ultra scene. In fact, to prep for this episode, I was actually talking with a few people. I probably shouldn't name them because I didn't ask them if I could get this on the record. But all of them in unison said, uh, we're all very active in the sub-ultra distance over in Europe. We're extremely competitive there. It's our preference from a content consumption standpoint, too. We can't find any content that satisfies us over in Europe. And... Uh, we're actually looking to the U.S. for content creation, which I found absolutely fascinating. First, because we don't have any specific show for the subultra distance here that I'm aware of. And B, I've always associated Europe with being at least a couple years, but maybe even decades ahead of us in terms of how they approach the sport and um, their seriousness about it and uh, just how integrated it is into their culture. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any commentary to be had there, but just it's interesting to me that people in Europe are looking to the States from a content creation standpoint for leadership, which I found interesting. And that was from like three or four unique sub ultra people in Europe that are relatively well known. And if you think about, let's even, well, think about like possibly in the future packaging media rights to someone. I feel like the sub ultra is more attractive to potentially getting it onto like an ESPN or world. I almost said worldwide sports, um, but like more the, you know, the mainstream like production or the media, I think that you're more likely to sell something that is in that 90 minute to two hour time frame. Yeah. Um, and if it is a hundred miler, then you're going to have to condense it down to something more like that. That's digestible for the general public. Um, like you guys, I will sit through 20 plus hours of a live stream or commentary of an event, but, and I do that with the marathon also, like, you know, I'll, I'll sit for four hours, um, of every single major marathon that is broadcast on TV. However, the general public and fans don't do that. Like they, they lose interest. Even marathoning fans lose interest from the two hour mm-hmm. and three minute elite men's field. And I think that, you know, we're doing it. I, I feel like just the future is that, you know, packageable, condensed, high adrenaline paced racing that you can create or not create, but you can uh, convey the drama, the storylines and have fans invested. Um, and that probably does come from more of the sub ultra. Do you already have a sense with Mammoth Trail Fest, given that it's going to be a part of the Golden Trail World Series this year? how that will be integrated into their like episodic YouTube content that we're all familiar with? Um, like uh, how it's, how we're going to be involved with that. Yeah. Like, do they, do they bring like crews out and like, I think it's Martin who does a lot of the narration and stuff. Does he come out and talk with you beforehand about like where to get the shots and what the storylines are going to be and all that kind of stuff? Haven't had those conversations yet, but from my understanding, it's, it's really the individual races that are, responsible for the live streaming of an event. Um, the golden trail series does have a, a, a robust media and production team that can come out to gather content on race weekend and do a lot of the recaps. Like if you have followed the, um, 
the I think it's the Golden Trail stories, or they they basically have a or the I'm getting this wrong, but they they have a multi episode series of recapping the races, and I think they're yep. releasing the like the ones right now um, on their channels, which are really great and high production value. Um, so they do that kind of stuff, but it's it's more for retelling the stories versus a live stream. Gotcha. But I I mean I do think that what they're they have obviously been the leader in the sub ultra or, I mean, I guess, yeah, it is all sub ultra because Mont Blanc marathon and Zagama are right around that 42 K mark. Um, but, uh, so it's kind of like you look at the two big series in the, in the world now of trail, you have a golden trail series, which you could mark 42 K and below, and you have UTMB world series, which is 50 K and above. Um, I feel like that's pretty much the, the clear divide in, the global race series. And, and I think it's probably good that they have that, um, you know, kind of, you know, separation because as we have been talking about a lot, there is a big difference between those two disciplines under the trail umbrella. Could your, given that you have the 50 K event and the 26 K event among others at mammoth, could you theoretically be involved in both series? Like could your 50 K race be a part of the UTMB world series qualifying you for OCC and the 26 K event? being a part of the golden trail world series in theory. Yes. Okay. But from my understanding, um, ne- with the new UTMB world series, pl- like, um, format, they are like the, the 35 or 33 events that part of their global series are now like solely dedicated to that. And all, most of them, if not, all are now by UTMB races. Um, so I don't think you could ever have an overlap between these two competing organizations. Gotcha. Um, so I, I don't think that would work. And, and I guess, I don't know if it was, this was written down on your guys' thing, but I, I think we should chat about the new kind of qualifying standards for, Please. you know, both of these, both of these series. Um, I mean, I, I'll, I'll preface it with, I'm an unapologetic fan of UTMB. I, I love UTMB. I am friends with the Pilates, um, and all of my, and all of my, all of my, um, uh, I don't know, comments are meant with hope that this series succeeds and that it grows and, and improves. And I think that's, you know, just like the discussions you get into in, in or on Twitter, it's like, I I hope that is the intention and people aren't just throwing shade or like throwing stones because they can, um, you know, I, I really do love UTMB and it's why I keep going there. Um, and what I absolutely appreciated about it for the last decade is that it served as the de facto world championship event in our sport of hundred mile mountain trail racing. Like, you could not find mm-hmm. a deeper, more competitive field on the calendar than UTMB at the end of every August. And one of the reasons for that, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but one reason that never worked against them was there wasn't a artificial barrier for entry for athletes that met a minimum standard of showing their, let's, you know, let's call it their, their competitive ability, you know, the ITRA ranking, the world ranking has issues, but it's probably the best um, system we have to basically rank and rate athletes based on a multitude of factors. And I know I probably have heard you guys talk about this where it's like, I could go cherry pick some 50 K and boost my each ranking versus like 
get my butt kicked in another race and like don't get points. So there are issues, but overall, I think it's the the best thing we have. And what I loved about UTMB is by using that is that they said, Hey, the minimum threshold is X, wherever they put that. If you're an athlete, a man or a woman, and you've hit, you've hit this minimum threshold, you can get into our race. And the way to get those rankings came from thousands of races around the world. So you didn't have to travel to, you know, even though now we have North American UTMB races, you didn't have to travel to canyons or grindstone. You could still go to Ashland or you could pick up your, your points in salt Lake. You could get them everywhere. I felt like it was a very equitable and democratic way of like ranking ourselves. Mm. Um, and that resulted in everyone for, for men and women respectively could show up in Chamonix and you would have this, absolute just you know bare knuckle brawl around mont blanc with the new system we are funneled into the by utmb races to get our points to get in and and again i'm not i'm not throwing shade and saying that this shouldn't happen i understand why it happens it's a great way to control revenue source it also can hopefully incentivize elites to compete more often throughout the year um so i think there are some benefits to it but at, at the moment some of the growing pains might be it could potentially deter or not deter. It could limit and water down the competitive fields in Chamonix because not every athlete wants to run a by UTMB race. Not every athlete has the ability to run these races. So I think by proxy that could lead to a, a diluted competitive field. That's one of my concerns. Um, and I know I, I, someone just sent, there's a, a last place losers category draw. I, I mean, it, it's, Again, with any new system, it's confusing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's it's almost like you need a PhD to understand the new stone system. But it's I, that is one of my concerns is that is it long term going to dilute the competitive field that we all loved about UTMB? It's a great question. And I want to say one thing and then, Brett, I'm sure you have thoughts. I like the UTMB World Series for the same reason I like the Solomon Golden Trail World Series, which is that it creates a predictable end-to-end season-long narrative for fans of the sport to make sense of. And I think when that exists, when you can clearly point to like, this is where the athletes go, these are the hoops that they have to jump through, and then here's like the finale of it all, I think fans gravitate towards that. And whether or not the UTMB World Series ends up being the perfect solution, I do applaud the Pilates and Ironman and UTMB as a whole for trying to create something of that nature for fans to grasp onto because until recently, and I know that we've treated like Western States and UTMB like these grand finales, but until recently, I feel like a lot of athletes approached their schedules very a la carte, like, oh, this race interests me. So does that one. And I guess UTMB does too, but it was super helter skelter. Start lines were diluted for that reason too, with some exceptions. And uh, there's going to be growing pains here, I think. But in the end, I think there's going to be something coherent. There's going to be a narrative and I think it's going to be good from a fan generation standpoint. So I just wanted to add on that, but I agree with everything else, everything else you totally. said. Totally, I agree. And I, I think that it is like, and that's something in the track and field world. We've always wanted, you know, I mean, you have the diamond league circuit, but like in the U S there's not necessarily a great system to like get people to compete against each other. And it's like these awesome independent races are popping up. Um, but it's kind of like, well, can we get all the talent in the same place at the same time? And, and that's where, like, if you look at the model, of the world major marathons, they have the six majors and what's, I think one of the differences between that and what UTMB world series is, is that it's not necessarily kind of this monopolization of the entire, um, 
uh, series where every individual major marathon operates independently, but they're part of the series. So like they can have their independent sponsors. They can have like a lot of, um, you know, autonomy to do things. And, and again, I, this, this isn't uh, a criticism, but it, I think just as a, as a consumer, there's always at least healthy concern when there's a monopolization of anything. Mm -hmm. And it it doesn't mean that it's like with has poor intent or that it is going to be bad and maybe it's great for the sport, but it's always like, Hey, is this what we want as a community? Yeah, there's a, yeah, it's definitely like, there's never been like more growing pains in regards to like getting into UTMB than right now across the elites and non-elites. I didn't get in. Yeah. I wish Tim did not get in. So I, that was actually the thing I was, I was after the like lottery came out, I was asking around seeing like which elites got pulled from the lottery. Cause I was just really curious to see if like the lottery was rigged maybe, <clears throat> but clearly the lottery is not rigged because Tim <laughs> did not get picked. It's a perfect system. But um, yeah, kind of going back to like, yeah, like the way now that you kind of have to race your way into UTMB via the like UTMB world series events but now there's kind of like a like a kind of like you said like like a loser bracket where like across all of those events if you didn't get one of the automatic spots they then take like the next hundred highest indexed performances by the numbers and those people will get an invite to utmb so like there's a possibility that like the person that gets 11th at like the canyons 100k could get an invite to CCC over someone who gets fourth place at one of the smaller like UTMB World Series, like European races, just because like one could get like be a little bit more competitive than the other. And I like that sounds nice, but one, it still forces you to go do a like buy a UTMB race. I would have loved to see that like top hundred index numbers get spread across like every single race that's under the UTMB indexed umbrella, which doesn't, as far as I know, doesn't even cost money for like you as a race deck director to get your race to f- get on the UTMB index scale. Um, I think you just have to send them like the course profile and results, and then that could at least put numbers next to it. Like it would be really cool to see in the future if like this quote unquote loser bracket could come across just all of the races. Like, sure, maybe there's these handful of races where you can auto entry yourself, but then there's a chance for those who maybe weren't able to get to one of those races, still get one of those UTMB invites. And I think, I mean, that could potentially make the race more competitive. Yeah. And I, I think that the, like the, the, I don't know if it's like lack of transparency is the right word, but you're, we're starting to teeter into that space of like, that was one cool thing that UTMB had going for them versus like hard rock. Like, I know there's a big like Mm -hmm. divide in the community of like, you know, hard rock versus UTMB, but like, I did appreciate that UTMB was just upfront basically with how they let people enter their race where like, you know, there were the secret Dale's yeah. kit picks for hard rock. And, and I, I just don't feel like that secretive nature is ever a good reflection of any organization. Like you should just be upfront with, you know, the people in your community. And like, I mean, after 
you know, with the, the, the lottery draw, I was a loser. Like I got a phone call from France the next day talking about ways I could still get in. And it's kind of like, you know, there, there are some, you know, growing pains that are going to happen, but I just, and, and I, I have faith that it is going to work its way out. Um, how can you I get in Tim? That, uh, what did they say to you? How can you get in? So, I mean, they're, they explained the loser lottery or I I'm getting that wrong, but uh, whatever the, the last, the last chance, <laughs> um, the last chance. Um, but they're, you know, it's basically like, Hey, it, it, I, I have, I don't like the idea of thinking that like, Hey, let's say I do like, okay. Thought experiment, right? Let's say I'm in hard rock this year. And that's my goal race. But I also want to do UTMB. I'm going to double. Like Arlen Glick might want to do that, right? Um, if I do UTMB, like I'm probably, I do hard rock. And then in theory, let's say I show up to some other by UTMB race a week or two after hard rock and basically just like walk it out and get my index points. And then I get in. It's kind of like, is that the healthiest thing to get incentivize an athlete to like, show up to a race just to go through the motions to then get in. Mm. And again, I, I don't have the answer for this, but it's kind of like, I, I think those are the things that are going to have to be worked out as we move forward. And, and I'm confident that they will. Um, I just hope that it doesn't lead to almost an unintended consequence of like, okay, well, some of these athletes don't want to play this game anymore. Like they, they want to go run, you know, the a la carte mode that Finn was talking about, you know, and, and maybe that isn't great for early season competition. Um, but maybe it allows for more autonomy as an athlete and not be driven into a certain system. Is there an over under 50% chance you're on the start line for UTMB this year? Oh. <laughs> um, I guess, I am not very good with odds, <laughs> um, and running them, but I, I plan to try and get in. Um, okay. I just have to figure out, uh, how I'm going to do that. And, um, I, I, I guess I should even start with this. Like I was penciling in my, my schedule for the year. And as a result of not getting into the, getting through the lottery, I am not making any changes to the penciled in thing. So like, I am not going to change the way I approach a season to get into UTMB. If the races I had penciled in work in my favor and I get in, then I'm going to race. Um, and I would hope that will be enough. And maybe I end up in that, you know, um, uh, last chance top index ranked people, but I, I want to do what interests me and what excites me. Like the thought of going to what's that new race in Utah in April. Oh, um, desert rats. I have no interest in going there, like, and no, no, no disrespect to the race there, but it's kind of like, I, we only have so many matches to burn and I don't want to use one on something that doesn't excite me because if you're not excited in this sport, you're not going to get the most out of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's kind of Finn circling back to what you had said about how from like a fan standpoint, having like this circuit of races and like world series, like then, you know, where all the pros are going to be and where they race. And then like, it all ends at some championship. Like I totally a hundred percent, like understand that. But the problem with like trail and ultra is there are lots of other cool sets of mountains and trails in existence. Whereas like, like the diamond league circuit, like at the end of the day, it's the same track meet. It's just, it's a track, like a tracks, a track. They're just different venues and like different fan bases. But like, 
you know, someone's going to line up and they're going to race a hundred. And it's not like one of the meets, the the hundred meter dash is uphill and the next one is downhill. It's like, they're all flat hundred. It's, you know, you can replicate it over and over. Whereas like, I feel like so many people get into trail and ultra running, even on an elite yeah. level to go check off all this big list of courses. Cause it's like, wow, this is a really cool opportunity to have like an aided, you know, speed attempt essentially across a course. And if like all these elites get pigeonholed into, you know, half a dozen races or whatever it is, and you never get to leave that ecosystem, there's definitely going to be an amount of athletes that would totally do it for the price. But then like, how much of the sport does that kill? I think it kills a lot. I think that the biggest, uh, stunter of growth from a fan standpoint or from the professional side of the sport is optionality. I think that we need to limit the number of choices for elite athletes. I think that it's like the menu analogy. You stare at a menu, there's like 40 different entrees and you're like, shit, I have no idea what I'm like. You keep pushing the waitress or waiter away. Cause you're like, I don't know what I'm going to get yet. I I'm very, I'm very concerned about optionality. I think it, I think it, it's, <laughs> it's the, like, I, it's the cheesecake. I didn't see the old system. <laughs> it's the cheesecake like, yeah, factory the cheesecake versus, factor. versus in and out. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Yeah. We need in and out. But like I didn't see any problem with there being a thousand ways to get into UTMB. But then it was just generally known that like, like, is it not good enough to just have everyone show up once a year to, to like duke it out? Like, does it really need to happen six times in a year? Like, I feel like it barely needs to happen once a year. And as, as an athlete that was part of the UTWT, the ultra trail world tour, which was preceded the golden or, um, the UTMB world series, that's something I kind of appreciated by that, that it almost felt like a hybrid where they had mm-hmm. their they had their um, series and it, it grew the the list grew every year to more and more races so that it could potentially dilute you know that competitive field but UTMB CCC and OCC were where where every athlete wanted to be so even if the like the the calendar throughout the the entire season may have like been spread out a little bit everyone still converged at the in Chamonix at the end of August yeah so it kind of like allowed that yeah. mixture of autonomy and we know everyone wants to show up to the world championships, but like, yeah, like, t- but Brett, like just for example, like Tim said, he only has so many matches to burn in his career. And to me, it's the ultimate tragedy. If Tim uses one of those matches on like the cascade crest 100, when he could be at trans grand Canaria facing off against Hayden Hawks and Jim and Adam Peterman. Like I want to consult as, as a fan, I want the number of places for athletes to go consolidated so that there's the highest chance that all of those guys and girls are on the exact same start line. Cause I think it's just great for the oh, sport. For when sure. that happens. Yeah. From a fan standpoint, hundred percent, but like from a runner standpoint, like it's like sometimes like, yeah, like you can't, like I want to do, I, w- I really want to run like pine to palm here. Cause it's like the local hundred mile and like, it's, probably never going to be like an elite world-class race, but like, it's something that like, I'm going to always be drawn to for reasons other than, you know, the competition side of things. Yeah. Um, so, so I feel like there's, there's, and that's something that's very unique about our sport. You don't get, you don't get too much of that in other avenues of running. Um, in regards to like, oh, I, I know this track meet isn't on the Diamond League circuit, but I've just always wanted to go do it. Like, that's not really, that's not really a thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is, it's super interesting how this sport, yeah, can, 
and and to that can yeah like yeah and and for that then if we continue the thought experiment like to have the ability to funnel athletes head-to-head matches more often throughout the year to create that like are are we okay with then just one person holding the keys to the castle of that entire system you know it, mm. you know cuz you're you're then essentially choosing winners and losers in the private race directing market of well i want everyone to show up at cascade crest but no one's going to show up to lake sonoma or all these other cool races anymore and like is you know then as a community can we well, I mean, I'll answer my own question. As a community, we have the ability to vote with our feet and our dollars on what we value most. And I yeah. I would hope that like if Lake Sonoma and Cascade Crest and, you know, fill in the blank uh, cool race is offering something, you know, that's worthwhile to their community, our runners are still going to support those races. Um, maybe it will dilute some of the competitive fields. Like I don't think we'll ever see Lake Sonoma the way it was in its heyday. Um, because it's no longer yeah. a golden mm-hmm. ticket race, which that system, you know, you could argue is choosing winners and losers in the ultra space. Like if you're not a golden ticket race, suddenly you're not going to get as competitive fields. Like, and does that <laughs> cause to the, you know, the, the detriment, or is that at the detriment of certain races? Like you could probably argue, yes. Like there's no perfect solution out there. Maybe another question is, are we okay with decoupling the elite field from the rest of the field? Because I don't think that like Lake Sonoma is ever going to have a problem filling out their entrance list with just like everyday runners, for example. But it may be the case that, you know, you won't have David Laney, Ryan Gelfi, Zach Miller, Sage Candidate on that start line ever competing for like, uh, you know, a sub 620 finish at, at the 50 mile. So I think we're in this unique position where our sport has always shared the exact same start line between the elites and, you know, the middle of the Packers like me. And we have to, maybe a separation is in order if we want this to happen, but I don't know. That's just my speculation. Yeah. I mean, you've got worlds. That's like the best example of an elite only race. Super cool. And I think it's super cool. Um, it's fun to like, it's, it's easy to get fans to engage in it because they're not there running it. Um, but at the same time, it also for something like that to be successful, I feel like it does need to be under the correct, I don't know, ownership or leadership to be as big as maybe it deserves to be, which like, I mean, I think that takes us back to like, I'm just gonna throw a random episode, long run archives, episode six of, (laughs) What if Western states had an entire separate weekend just for their elite field where it was an elite only race? Maybe it was 150 men, 150 women, and it was separate from the non-elite side of the race. Like better or worse for the sport? I think it's better. I would say for like legacy events like Western States, it's worse. But if you're creating something moving forward, uh, I think there's an argument that it could be better in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I agree with you. I think what's really cool about our sport is how the first time trail runner can be in the same corral as a Courtney DeWalter or a Jim Walmsley, and they can be 
feet away from each other. And then they're going to go out and suffer on the same trails. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And you might pass them. You very well could. Like you have a, that's, <laughs> like, that's a great point. You could beat them. Like what, what was, <laughs> like, Tim, I was so close to catching you at Western States at Michigan bluff. <laughs> yeah. See, like, and, and I mean, and to your point, like in this year, my, um, I was leapfrogging with this guy from the Midwest between, uh, alt all the way to the finish. And like Jimmy and mm. I were going back and forth and like, like it gave me something to chase. I'm sure it gave him a pretty cool experience of like, you know, we were, we were racing each other in a sense and that doesn't exist in other, other sports. So I think that is something special that could be lost. Totally. Yeah. And it would be sad to see that disappear of like elites. Yeah. Like the, the track or the marathon model of show up press conference, race, press conference, go home, no other engagement. Quick break to give you another discount code. This episode is also brought to you by HVMN. HVMN are my choice for exogenous ketones. Back in October 2022, I was introduced to exogenous ketones at the Havelina 100. After some testing, they became a part of my daily routine to support energy and focus, and I've even started using them in the middle of long runs to support endurance and recovery. In 2023, my nutrition plan will be both high carb and high ketone, and for the latter, HVMN will be my product of choice. If you are interested in trying them out yourself and supporting the podcast in the process, use code SINGLETRACK20 for 20% off your next order at HVMN.com. With that, let's get back to the conversation. Can we, do you mind if we switch topics and talk about, can we talk about you, Roy, for a sec? Oh yeah, I did write down some you right things. <laughs> I, I think we should talk about uh, first the people that we think got snubbed in the voting. And I can lead the first one for me, which I think it's utterly blasphemous that she was <laughs> left out of even the top five, let alone the top 10, is Jasmine Lowther. I can't believe in this day of age, 2023, you can get fourth at probably the most competitive CCC of all time, set an absurd course record at the Canyons 100K, uh, get a podium at Chuck Nut, and you're left out of the top five, let alone the top 10. I think it's utterly blasphemous and we should check the pulse of these voters to see what's going on. <laughs> well, yeah. So I guess f- for those who are listening to this episode, ev- the Uroy number two through 10 have been announced. And I feel like it's safe to assume that the number ones that haven't gotten announced yet are Adam Peterman and Courtney DeWalter, because <clears throat> if either of them got left off the top 10, I don't even, I'm retiring from the sport and I'm just going to take up pickleball. But um, yeah, there's, yeah, Jasmine, Jasmine Lather's a, in, a pretty, pretty wild omission from the top 10. Um, the other one that I think has gotten snubbed on multiple years for, you know, essentially having very similar race results as Tyler Green, or as Tyler's been like fourth through sixth or seventh, like on multiple years, is Drew Holman. Drew home run. Like, because mm-hmm. they've, it's not like, it's not like Drew's never beat Tyler. Like, they've gone back and forth multiple times. And then, like, Drew's beaten a lot of people in who've, you know, been it or in the Euro top 10 this year, but he's, he's outside of the top 10 for <laughs> reasons I don't understand. I've actually got, I have made a massive spreadsheet of I'm trying to reverse reverse engineer the Uroy. So like 
starting from like when the 10th person came out all the way till now I've taken the person's name races, a whole bunch of other stuff. I will share it at some point once we clean it up, um, see if we can get some graphs and stuff maybe, but I'm like just trying to make sense of it all in terms of like what articles I've been able to read that say, this is the criteria that we pick from to determine the Uroi. And then like what actually happens because as I'm looking through things right now, they are not on the same page with each other. And I, I do not envy the voters or yourself for making this spreadsheet that, and this speaks to what we've talked about this entire conversation, how many disciplines are under the trail ultra umbrella. It is so hard to rank and rate appropriately. Um, and then everyone's going to have an opinion, even if you come into it as objectively as possible. Um, and I think that with, mm-hmm. with you, Roy, it is hard because athletes get snubbed. Um, and I mean, I, I have been on that, you know, let's call it losing end where I feel like I got snubbed and like, I've always had to remind myself that we think you, Roy matters more than it does. Like it's, it's sort of like this, yeah. it's this nice recognition from your peers that you're doing something that people respect. And I mean, that means a lot, right? But yeah. it doesn't translate into much bargaining power as an athlete with the exception of, I'd say up and comers that might be trying to negotiate contracts. It could be a, a single thing that you kind of like, you know, that like, you know, a little like feather in your cap, but it's, it's not as it doesn't carry weight the way we tell ourselves in our head. Like w- unless you were to maybe win and you're on the cover of alternate magazine. But for the most part, like, like we said earlier, a fan, like, could you name who even got second or third, let alone seventh, eighth, ninth, or 10th, any other year other than the ones you just read? Like, it'd be really hard to reflect back and think about that. Um, and I think that the, the worst thing about, uh, uh, like an ended season ranking like this is that it does cause some athletes to over race thinking they're going to like get in the good graces of the the panel. And at the worst that leads to burnout or injury. And I, I mean, I, I mm. have seen that with athletes and that, that breaks my heart. Like, and I'm not saying that we get away from awards and that kind of stuff. Cause like, obviously it, everyone doesn't deserve a participation medal in this sense, you know, as we're like ranking yeah. like the elites. But I think that there is that like, you know, it's like, okay, where's the, where's the middle ground of like, as an athlete, you need to know what you stand for. And hopefully you're not making decisions based on you, Roy. Yes. Yeah, totally. Tim, so you're telling me you don't like build out your entire race season thinking about how you can like for sure solidify yourself into the Euro. So, I mean, just to be contender. to be honest, like early I did. I I I considered like what it might look like. This is back in 2015, 16, 17. Like I was like, "Oh, like I want to be ultra runner of the year." And I made decisions that weren't in my best interest. And every time mm. I would do that, I'm like, what, like, like, aren't you like mature enough not to let this like popularity contest get under your skin? And of course I wasn't like, I, I would go back and I, <laughs> I try and do it again. Right. But I think it, again, it, I think it's a cool award. And, but I, I think that, you know, for the very reason that we're discussing how subjective in nature it is, anyone that tries to like, like pair their, their worth as a, an athlete to it, you're, you're on the losing end of this. Mm-hmm. Like you're, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah. I haven't seen, I guess I could have looked, I could have looked up Adam Peter Mings, but like of the races that on like people did 
on the Uroi that were indexed on the UTMB index or the ITRA index, if we were going just by like their algorithms for course profile, how fast they ran, place or whatever, like the Uroi on the men's side is either Adam Peterman or David Sinclair, which is interesting. And what did David like Sinclair David Sinclair is the fourth, fifth, okay. fifth, because fifth. Okay. then it was Arlen, Jim, Adam. Oh, wait, was he fourth? I don't know. Either way, he was like the only person who every single race he did, it indexed to over 900. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think maybe Jim and Adam had multiple races over 900. But other than that, David was, he had three, four. He had four over 900. And then I think Hayden Hawks had one. And then everyone else was in like the upper 800s. So like, that's clearly not how you win you, Roy. Because it, it, I mean, the counter argument for like Sinclair is like going all the way back to the beginning of the episode, David didn't run a hundred mile. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it's a really cool thing for us to be able to, you know, riff on it and like have these discussions and it's, and I hope that we always have that. Um, one thing, and although this wasn't on our, our topic, but the, the T-Roy that uh, free trail started, like I, yes. I submitted mm-hmm. in there and again, it, it just gave me even more empathy for the ro- voters of Uroy because they did a fantastic yeah. job of like compiling everything in a very like just user-friendly platform where I could click and it would take me to things and like what they have built or are building is incredible. Um, Amazing. but it made me realize, Holy cow. Like ranking past three is hard. Like, you know, I, I feel like I'm a huge fan of the sport and it's, it's really difficult to like, and you know, I, I always do pay attention to subaltra, but it's like, okay, like how am I going to like, you know, take Bailey's results versus, you know, uh, Katie Scheid's results. Like, how am I going to compare these two? You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's challenging. Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's one thing that I'm learning across my, my Uroy reverse engineering analysis breakdown is like, I don't think there, there is no like formula to figure out who's the winner. Like a lot of it is subjective, like, yeah, so-and-so beat so-and-so, but they also did these other races. And in my mind, like that's more impressive. And I, and that's, I guess, ultimately why the, like there's a collective panel of, I think 50 plus people who then submit their votes. But I guess like Brett's hot take of the episode, I think the Uroy needs to get shrunk down to five instead of top 10. It'd probably be, I think yeah. 10, like five, five through 10. Like, I don't know. I like, yes, as someone who's in that probably nice to see congratulations, but there's probably like 15, 20, 30 people now who could be in the conversation for that. So yeah. like, let's just make it even more difficult and just go top five. So here, here's my, uh, my last Dance or statement on Uroy, T Roy, P Roy, whatever like future things we have. To all the athletes out there, your art is what you do with your feet. Let that dictate what you continue to do. Like other people are gonna like rank rate us, they're gonna like give us awards. Don't do it for the award. Go out there and you know, make your masterpiece with your feet and let it stand, you know, because it's always gonna be a subjective 
analysis of what you did, but hopefully that's not what's driving you to do these cool things. Like let it come from some other place. Let, let the source be something else. Yep. Amen. Don't change the script just to win an Oscar. Hey, yo. and I know, I know we've been ragging on you, Roy. And at the end of the day, I have my complaints, but they give us something to talk about and it's fun to use it as an opportunity to reflect on like who did what this past year, where did they do it? How do they stack up? It's at the end of the day, it's all, it's all media fun just as much as it is recognition. And, uh, and what, I don't want that to go away. No, totally. And, and I think that, like Finn, I don't know if Brett was on this text thread or not, but, um, what we were chatting about on like, as you get into a domain where maybe you're building something yourself, you realize how hard it is to do anything. So like, I would hope yes. that everyone, you know, from the the vote or the the panel on the Uroy, um, you know, Amy and the whole crew at Ultra Running Magazine, like they don't take it as like people are upset or complaining. Like definitely, not. it is it is so difficult to build anything, create anything, and <laughs> and I think that you know, like it's easy for us to sit here and you know armchair quarterback or or throw shade <laughs> or have fun with it, <laughs> but like you know it's it's simple and it can be fun, but it's kind of like, yeah, like all the credit to the people that are actually creating things and like, don't stop creating. And I, I hope that they, they don't feel like they're being torn down by, by people's complaints or, and I hope people aren't complaining. I hope people are genuinely trying to constructively provide not well, if they are going to provide feedback, hopefully it's constructive or, or, I mean, you can say what you want, but like, hopefully people are just like applauding them for doing something cool. Like just give a shout out. Like, I mean, a tangent, but like I was, I was, I was amazed how like I'd spent like years trying to get trail fest off the ground. And then we like publicly announced it. And like some of the first emails I had were like, why didn't you do X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> I was just trying to get this thing. Like, like to see the light of day. And like, I, I had to like remind myself, okay, like they're probably like, they're not like attacking you, even though I felt like it was an attack. Um, you know, just take it, like take their, take their, uh, input and do what you want with it. But it's, it can be challenging when you're building something. Amen. Amen. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's the person in the arena. Right. And, um, I think they've created something worthy of criticism too, which I think anytime you create something that's really interesting and provocative and cool, um, there's going to be typically just as many people that like it that have something negative to say or some critique and uh, it's all good. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's see, looking at this Google doc here. Can we do this? Can we trial run this buy or sell segment? I totally ripped this off of like, you know, part of the interruption on ESPN, but, uh, I think it'd be fun to like, look at what's on deck in 2023, whether it's a race or some athletes or a movement or a trend. And we can say like, I'm buying this for 2023 and beyond, or I'm selling it. Brett, do you have yeah. any, any things you're buying or selling in 2023? Yeah, I've got, well, so, I mean, yeah, maybe Tim's also going to agree with me on this one, but I'm buying craft stock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like, I think just with, with the moves that craft has made for 2023 and, you know, getting to see a little glimpse um, of just what like the team is standing for and how they're approaching the management of 
their athletes and their team and everything. I just, I like that. I like what I'm seeing. And I think there's more success to come from that. And success can come in many different ways. You know, it doesn't have to be just race results, but I think there will be success as a company there. And I think it's really cool to see, you know, new players uh, enter the sport, which I definitely consider craft to, to be a, a newer, you know, newer up and coming team. So yeah, I'm definitely, I'm buying craft stock for sure. Nice. Can, can I buy craft stock and sell it because I'm like selling product? <laughs> yeah. I was like, is craft a publicly traded company? You gotta, you gotta let your, you gotta let your stock stuff? vest. Team. Yeah. Um, and, and what Brett said, I, I, that's something like in general, I'll, I'll just hijack it a little bit. Like I'm buying any brand that is going like in on the team aspect, like something that Adidas has done for a number of years with Robert over there. They're doing amazing things. Um, you know, Solomon to an extent, they've, they've cultivated some stuff. We're seeing more of it. Like I hope more brands do that because what Brett said, like joining craft, even though it's new, like I have that excitement of like, it feels like this like close knit team that I haven't really had since, well, I, I mean, I have a club team that I run for in, in Sacramento, Sacramento running association where I still run cross country meets with them. But like, there isn't that like, you know, real connected feel in a lot of the, the other brands. And I, you know, I, I guess it depends on what you're interested in, but like, I'm excited. Did you for feel that. it with Nike? I did based on the fact that we built it ourselves. Like, um, cause Nike had no interest in cultivating the trail team, um, at that time, which we all okay. were sad about. And we thought that it was a missed opportunity and I'm actually kind of surprised they're still around. Um, I mean, I know they have an amazing team of athletes right now, but it, and it, I understand this, like it's not, it's not a, a complaint, but Nike trail was so low on the totem pole of the night, like in the Nike, uh, you know, vertical umbrella that it didn't get any love. And I think what we had were building and the, the men and women before I joined in 2013 to 14 were building, I feel like it like hit like critical mass right in that like 2015, 16 era. And it's like, we could have taken that so many places with just like an ounce of like, like interest internally. And it just wasn't there at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, like I would have loved to have been teammates forever with Laney, Zach, Sally. Uh, you know, we we had a big crew at that time. Um, but yeah, and I think it was kind of like, hey, if you maybe had people that had the strings they could pull, like a Robert over at Adidas, I bet it would have looked a lot different in 2023. Going off of your team concept, Tim, I am buying the world championships movement here in the U S as a trend for 2023 and beyond. I think that I know that we've had a legacy there for a while now in the sub ultra stuff, but I think that the men's 80 K team winning gold was a big deal in a light bulb moment for a lot of elite athletes in our sport. You saw Jeff Colt in his recent free trail interview say that he took the golden ticket to Western States in part because a, he doesn't want to race his way in through Lake Sonoma and B he believes that the applications are going to be so strong from the likes of people like Jim Walmsley and Adam Peterman, Zach Miller, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that um, he might not even get in this year because it's going to be so competitive. And I think a lot of it has to do with people uh, wanting that group team environment, running for something bigger than themselves, the whole nationalism angle. And 
just the cool stuff that comes from that. And I guess you could say like the environment where it's just purely elite. It's just the best of the best doing battle. So I think that they lit a spark in 2022. It's going to be kindled in 2023. And I think it's going to explode uh, from here on out. So that's what I'm buying this year. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> slight side question, but I'm going to try my best to circle it back because it can be relevant. Tim, did you run for Hanson's Brooks? No, but that was my dream in college. I had a, a poster of Brian Sell on my wall. Um, I graduated in like in 20, 2008. I thought I am not very good, but my goal over the next four years is to hit a qualifying standard to apply to Hanson's Brooks. Um, I never hmm. made it, but I did join the Brooks ID program. So like I was on their like, okay. like regional, here's some free gear stuff. Um, so I did run like my qualifier in, in the Brooks green silence, rest in peace. Um, and, oh, uh, such a great shoot. <laughs> <clears throat> yep. Okay. I guess my question was, do you think that there's this, like a, a, a model similar to like how Hanson's Brooks does with like the run shop over there and then kind of half funding, you know, the runners and then half, you know, funding themselves through the work that they do. Can something like that exist for a trail team a question. In, instead of just a team being like, we need all this money to fund a full pro team. But like, what if there was like in Salt Lake or, yeah. you know, like Ashland kind of on the small scale was like, you work part-time at the running store that buys you enough freedom also with maybe a sponsorship to pursue running pretty much like full enough time. Like I can something like that exist. I do. And I've thought about that. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the, I don't know of anything that really ex truly exists in trail. The closest thing I would think about is like what Mike foot has done up at uh, the rut with their, um, with their race company where he's employed Adam Peterman and others where right. like they help put mm -hmm. on these events, they make money, but then they, you know, obviously now Adam can live independently on his own just from, you know, his success, but I could see that. And I've, I would love to see that happen more. Um, like here locally in Mammoth, like we've toyed around with ideas of like, hey, how do we make like, you know, a Mammoth Trail team or a Mammoth Trail fund that kind of basically ha like houses that kind of thing as well. But I, I think you would need that bridge where there's another, you know, people are making uh, money and also providing service to their community through a different route. And I think it's the best of both, mm -hmm. both worlds there um, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Actually, I guess the Aravipa Elite Racing Team is actually getting very close to that oh, through helping out at their races. Yeah, interesting. Maybe employment opportunities across that and then training and, you know, racing, you know, there and like, then you get race opportunities through something like true, that as well. True, But um, I, gosh, yeah, there's just not that many examples of something like that that could exist right now other than it getting like built from scratch. Sure. Yeah. But I think if you are looking at like, Hey, could we link up with rogue Valley runners? Like, and is, and is Hal going to kind of be like our, our godfather of this, like, you know, bridge program or like, is it an events company or wh wh whatever? But I think you do mm -hmm. need that vehicle to kind of like, uh, float it. Um, and that actually, like I did write down one of the things I'm buying this year are indie races, uh, indie race directors. I, I want to buy more stock in those guys. Yeah. Okay. That's, That's a good, a good one. one. But I don't think it's that 
I mean, I guess things have changed in the whole remote environment where people can, you know, work in one place and the company's based elsewhere. But I don't think it's too much of an ask during contract period for a brand to be like, hey, we want you to join the team. And oh, by the way, if you do join the team, we're based in Boulder and we have expectations that you're also located here in Boulder. And, you know, we train three times a week and we do a workout on Wednesday and we do a long run on Sunday and we need you there like 80% of the time. And I've never had the experience personally, but I'm guessing that's a conversation that's had and executed in the road running world, unless I'm wrong. And I, it doesn't seem like that'd be too much of a, of a leap in trail running to, to happen similarly. Yeah. I mean, I, the biggest thing is just like, as the race gets longer, the overlap in training shrinks from person to person. Yep. Like that's like the biggest thing. It's like, even if Tim and I are both training for UTMB, like the amount of runs that we probably actually realistically overlap on might not be as many as like fans of the sport would want it to be. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's mainly because Tim's a lot better at running than I am. <laughs> I don't know that's about like that. That's like a bad example of like <laughs> me training with Tim. I think we should. But, I'm buying uh, Brett's stock. Okay, Finn, Finn, can you fund <laughs> Can you fund a reality show of, of Brett and I training together for UTMB? I love that. Dude, idea. I will be the best <laughs> rabbit you've ever had. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I don't I know. Like that. That, that just sparked a, something that I, I remember from college. Like, I was a walk-on at Chico State in 2003. Pretty terrible high school yep. runner, relatively speaking. Um, and really? I, I had a conversation with um, one of my teammates who also, he was he was more of a walk-on. He was an 800-meter runner, and he actually now works for Brooks. Okay. Um, shout out, Nick. But we had a conversation about how, like, hey, we are by far the, the, the lowest, uh, like, we are the worst runners on the team. But... If over the next five years, we continue to train, push each other, we will push the ones above us. And if we get better, best case, we make someone else fighting for that seventh spot on the team afraid, and they're going to train a little harder. And like, that's going to be a win for the overall team. And I think that was like that, that mentality Mm -hmm. that we had as collegiate or like any cross country team, like you are there for your brothers and your sisters, you know, and like, and I feel like if you can cultivate that in the trail space in in any, like any fashion, everyone's going to benefit from it. Like, it's just a really cool experience. Like, Hey, you're, you're training for something bigger than yourself. And like what Finn said, buying the world champs or those events, you know, maybe that is something where, you know, if we can incentivize that enough and that's going to come to like, Hey, let's write in big enough bonuses and athletes contracts to actually want to show up. Like there's a reason people don't go to those races because they're going to make less money there than they do elsewhere. It's kind of like the road scene. Like, of course, like when you start hearing pro runners talk about how they're going to skip the Olympics because they make more money going to Boston or Chicago in appearance fees, even though we don't get appearance fees, but like their bonuses, like you have to think about like how athletes are making livings. And, you know, I, I think if we can do anything to cultivate that team environment, the overall thought, like philosophy of like, Hey, I'm trying to make everyone in this sport better. I think the whole sport benefits from it. Mm. Yeah. Is anybody awesome point, Tim, by the way, um, is anybody selling anything I am. in 2023? What are you selling? Fire sale. Uh, I, I'm selling hundred milers. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. I think the only relevant distance is 26K. 
Mammoth Trail Fest. <laughs> um, ah, I'm pretty sure Broken Arrow has a 26K as well. Just saying. And um, I think The Rut has one. So, um, yeah. I'm selling um, carbon plated trail shoes. Oh, I had that one written down. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think there is a future for that. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, cause I love, okay. I love shoe tech. Oh no, I shouldn't say I love shoe tech. Cause that'll, I, I would have to walk that back. I kind of hate shoe tech. Um, that's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I do love talking shoes and like experimenting, but, um, I just don't think it's there yet for, we're, I don't think we're going to see the benefits that we have seen in the roads, um, because there are too many variables at play. I was thinking about this on my run this morning because I was running. I did a trail workout this morning in a carbon plated trail shoe, and it's the best utilization of a carbon plate in a trail shoe because it doesn't mimic the properties of normal carbon. So it could effectively be plastic, and I would like it just as much, and the shoe would cost $100 less. But I think, you know, I think, yeah, kind of like what you're perhaps alluding to is like the, Carbon fiber in the trail world right now is just an expensive buzzword. And I mean, the biggest reason for that to, to just spend like two minutes breaking down carbon plates and shoes, road marathoning shoes are made of foams that are very soft and have super high rebound. The carbon plate is there so that way you can actually bounce and propel yourself in the correct plane of motion because roads are flat and these foams are very soft, very responsive. When you have foams this soft and this responsive on trail it doesn't work so then all the trail super foams are getting a little bit firmer but the firmer the foam the Mm -hmm. less it needs to be tamed by a carbon plate because it has its own stiffness we're now just adding firm foams and stiff carbon plates together thinking it's going to create the same result as these carbon plated super shoes on the roads and like it, I just don't see it as necessary, which is why like my favorite carbon plated trail shoe right now is very flexible and could effectively just be plastic. Well said. Dr. Brett. Seriously, Dr. Brett. Brilliant. Conversational pace. <laughs> oh yeah. Is, we'll link like and subscribe. Notes. I wish there was a place where I could learn more about shoes and footwear <laughs> and watch videos and, you know, hear someone that's run in the shoes for, you know, more than 12 miles maybe someday it's yeah, dude 100, 100 mile minimums it's the lar- it's the single largest gap in shoe intelligence and maybe overall intelligence you'll ever see between brett and myself uh definitely go check it out <laughs> and that's why it's such a great pairing you know <laughs> my cell is nothing explicit it's more actually a question i feel like a lot of events in our sport are cyclical um from an elite standpoint like there's just eras where elites go to particular races and then for one reason or another they go the way of the dinosaur you think about races like the miwok 100k right now or um you know the wasatch 100 here in my backyard of salt lake city what are the equivalent races in 2022 where five years from now in 2027 we're going to say remember when like everyone lined up for that race and now it's just kind of like a quiet locals only thing so I, I'm, yeah, I'm more of a question here. Like what are the races of today that will kind of be like extinct from an elite standpoint so, in five years? So I'd say be, I, before like yeah. listing particular races, 
an observation I've had it, I think it can be the races that pop up because maybe they were part of a series or part of like a stepping stone to something else are the ones that are going to disappear as quickly because maybe the draw was that it had that extra perk of being X, Y, or Z versus let's call legacy races that were built around a community for something totally different. And maybe they joined a series or a qualifying thing or had golden ticket slapped on there or, or something. But I would say, I feel like it was the community focus that like was the Genesis. That's what supported it and will continue to support it regardless if it's part of something bigger. Um, and, Mm. and I think that's what, like, if anyone out there is thinking about like, Hey, we have an awesome running community or I want to build it in my local area. Like think about that, like community first, you know, what can you do like to build it for the community from the community? I think that is the best thing that's going to lead for long-term sustainable, you know, growth and opportunity for your local community. Um, and hopefully whether the storms of, and you, I mean, we saw that everywhere, like through the pandemic, the, the races that were, you know, like really tied in with their community, people were still paying for their race entries and not asking for refunds because they cared about the community. Yes. Yeah. One addendum to mine, I have not seen Spartan achieve the traction that I think some of us thought they were going to like they immediately took over what was once the North Face Endurance Challenge in the Marin Headlands there where North Face had a foothold. And Brett, I know that Laney just ran that race this past November, but I I think on the thread of like, where did the elites go? It it doesn't seem like they have done a great job attracting the fields that that course used to attract. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear about it. By the way, Tim, great point. I, I don't want to overlook that point. That was a great point about how to build a race. I just had to add that addendum. Yeah. I mean, there's just, it's, I mean, a lot of it's just advertising. Like, I don't know. I feel like North face 50 mile had, whether it was them or other media outlets telling, like writing up these stories and like hyping up this de facto 50 mile trail world championship. Like that story just got written in and then it just like, they just rolled with it and they're like, cool, guess we're the 50 mile world championships now. Um, that story has not gotten written for, this Spartan trail world series. Um, and I don't know whose fault that is, but it, either way it did, it hasn't happened. Um, but, but there were like episodes, there was episodes devoted to that. Like Spartan just entered, like what's, what's going to happen? Like what impact are they going to have? And it's, I haven't felt it. I mean, the Iron Man one companies, so many companies have massive launch ideas and then no follow up after that. Mm. And that's like, one of my biggest pet peeves with a lot of these shoe companies and they're like blasting a shoe into the stratosphere. And then it's like not ever pushing it ever again beyond their launch or updating it in a a way that makes sense or using, I don't know, the success from said shoe to like fund other avenues of the sport. Um, It was just, it almost just seemed like it was this big like curtain unveiling and then they're like, okay, well let's go do something else. What's your cell though, Brett? My cell was the UTMB entry process. <laughs> like we, we kind of, t- we kind of talked, touched upon it, but like just working with a lot of athletes who are not on the elite side and like, I 
you know, it's my job to try to figure out how it works so I can tell them this is how it works. And like the amount of knowledge that I need to have to be like, you have to, you know, you have to get these stones from these races, but like you also have to have an index score to be eligible to even apply to the race, even if you got stones from somewhere else, like et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it just, it just shouldn't be that complicated. And um, I just don't think it needs to be as complicated as it is. Or even if it is exactly the way that it is, it could be worded or explained just a little better. Like, I think it could just be spelled it. And I know it's not like a, oh, it's just didn't get translated correctly from French to English because it sounds like everyone in Europe is also having the same issues of like, I don't know. And also, as far as I know, no one got stones from the 2022 UTMB for 2023. Which that that's crazy to me that like only, is it only the top three of UTMB get into it next year? Like, so like Jim and Zach, like, I don't even know if it was top three or top. Yeah. Like, are they not? I, I want to say like Jim and Zach, like it didn't count as one of those top 10, but you could have gone to Thailand and been 10th and right. gotten in, but like, yeah. you couldn't have been 10th at UTMB. And I, I think that's how it is. Like someone correct us if we're wrong, but yeah. I, I believe Zach wrote an article about this saying like he would not get back right. in with his fifth place finish, which is wild. And Jim is not currently in either, right? I, well, no, I unless mean, he got through the lottery. Um, okay. But yeah. But then like, did, did he have the stones to put into the lottery? Yeah. Maybe not for 2023 because, because <clears throat> what I'm learning is if you finish UTMB, like tw- if you finish UTMB in 2022, you don't get stones to put into the 2023 UTMB lottery from the 2022 race. Cause like, like if you run Western States in 2022, that's like the first qualifier that you've run to make you eligible to put into the lottery for the next year's race. Apparently not the case okay. with UTMB. Cause like I had an athlete run OCC and then go and check their profile. And it was like, Oh, I don't have any running stones because apparently running OCC did not make me eligible to put into the next year's OCC lottery. Uh, interesting. And again, I think these are, so, these are the, the growing pains that have to be flushed out. Um, and they'll, they'll figure it out for sure. Um, but it, it it'll yeah. be, so that's why I'm selling the current year yeah, of yeah. entry lottery or entry process. And, and on, on that note, what's interesting is one of the, um, purported purported benefits of this new system was to minimize like, you know, travel to races because they're trying to be environmentally friendly that, Hey, we're going to have buy UTMB races in the North America and, you know, Asia Pacific. And, you know, while in theory, I think that is great. You're now still creating artificial barriers. Like we said earlier of like, Hey, well, I have to go to grindstone or I have to make my way out to Auburn for canyons where, where you used to be able to get your, your points from like the thousands of races across America like that fed into this, your yeah. overall ETRA ranking. Yep. Yeah. America is a pretty large landmass, <laughs> turns out. And by having like three events in the United States, um, I can't, like, I don't have the, like the European luxury of hopping on a high speed train and just like popping over to the next country to do a race. I mean, it's funny, like, like when travel in America sucks, when, when we tell someone's like, oh, yeah, it's just a seven hour drive, like in California, you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty standard in Europe. You're like, you went through 17 <laughs> yeah. countries in that seven hours. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, looking at the Google Doc here, I think we've almost covered all the topics. Um, yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I, I, I feel like we, we checked all the boxes that I wanted to check. And like, I know that we could just riff and talk about running for an endless period of time. Um, like, like at the, uh, the Memorial Day training runs. Yes, for sure. Uh, this past year, Western States was like, Tim, did you hear who won the U.S. trials for the 10K? And then it's like 90 minutes later, we're still talking around a trash can after the run about it, one particular track race. I, I, yeah, we didn't even bring up like Newberry Park or like any anything in high school. There, there's so many things, but yeah, um, yeah, there. Well, we didn't go through all of how, how many miles did we get people through just now? Like, have they, have they made it like ten miles? Have they? Uh... <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Like, we might be between like ten and twelve miles. Yeah, unless yeah, you're of, unless you're a this run a flatlander. Like, Hopefully, you're like sixteen in. Yeah, if you can get in twenty miles before the end of this episode, Tim will send you a shirt from Kraft. <laughs> Consider it done. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah no i i feel like you ran through most of them yeah um but mm, um do i think we should end with uh brett's hot takes yes the hot takes, hot takes. Well, actually tim i think this was you like what are some of the oh i mean you came into the sport you came into the sport <clears throat> oh yeah that was from a from a different background question, yeah. and you probably had preconceptions and maybe some conceptions what were some of the hot takes you had in the sport that still stand today my first hot take is i didn't understand people's infatuation with anton or dean or some of those people like i i just i didn't get it um i i understand like i appreciated their successes like in terms of like two-time leadville winner like part of one of the greatest Western States hundred mile races in 2010. Um, but I, I just, I, I, I came from a different cut of the cloth where like those were impressive, but it didn't to me cement like these iconic, uh, like personalities that would still, you know, 15 years later, still like be as talked about as they are. Like, I feel like Anton's name pops up and like, people still go crazy. And like, I guess that just, that surprised me then. And it still surprises me now. One of my, actually, I, I rewatched the Billy Yang Shamani video from 2015 in prep for this episode. And I think one of the most underrated quotes in that whole movie is when you're doing the climb out of Triant and you say something like, I have to remind myself that it's okay to hike sometimes. <laughs> and I mean, you got to understand, like, that's where I was coming from when I entered the sport. Like if you walked in any other discipline I'd ever done, you might as well just walk off the track or the road. Like you're, you're, you're done. Like it doesn't exist in like the competitive side of track and field or marathoning. Like, um, and that was actually coming out. That was going up to Champé-Lac. Um, it was, uh, Champé-Lac, yeah. sorry. but, uh, and I mean, literally like in my head in that race, I'm walking, I'm thinking, why am I still in this race? And I'm in second place at that time, but that was like a, a total just mental shift of like understanding this sport and what it takes to be good. Um, 
And, uh, and I think that probably like, also like my mindset was like, Hey, like, I feel like I could get into ultras, probably win some races, get sponsorship and make a career out of this. Like, like was my hot take when I entered the sport. And while I have successfully done that, it was a lot harder to maintain than I thought it would be. Um, because as we kind of touched on, depending on the discipline in the ultra sphere, it takes so much more than just ability to run fast or hike well or whatever it is. Like you, you need a strong why you need to be gritty. You need to be determined, stubborn problem solver. Like, you know, there's, there are, you know, it's dozens of different personality traits or just, you know, maybe uh, psychological deficits you need to, to have to, to be successful in this sport. And, and I'd say that's something that like, it, uh, it's just given me a huge appreciation for the people that continue to do these long ultras. Cause it's, it's no joke. And like, and I mean, I've had friends that like, they saw my entry to the sport, they came from the track and field world and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do that. And they just got their butt kicked. Like their world was rocked and it didn't transfer. Like just cause you're a sub 14 minute 10 K run or five K run, which now that's not even that, that good. Like if, if you're a sub, you know, 1330 guy, it doesn't mean you're going to have success on the trails. Like it just takes a, you know, a different, you know, I mean, you, you may have all the, um, ingredients to the recipe, but it doesn't necessarily come out to something that's palatable. You've been in the sport for almost 10 years now. And through that period competing at an extremely high level, I know that when you're at the level you're at, there is a lot of attrition. Are there any people that you came up in the sport with that were, that kind of had similar ambitions to you that for one reason or another are no longer in the sport and you're surprised that they're no longer there with you. Like when you think about your class of people that came up in the sport. Yeah. Our, our class I'd say, cause I, I guess I'm entering my ninth year. Um, so yeah, almost a decade. Um, like the, I mean, the two guys that really got me into the sport were, uh, uh, Alex Varner and Chris Vargo. Um, they, yeah. you know, also fellow Nike guys. Um, they, they, I, I guess I thought they would be around longer, but, um, for a multitude of different reasons, like, and, and that's where I think one thing like that I had going for me was I had, I established a external career outside of ultra running that sustained my ability to continue training, whether or not I had sponsors. And because I was Mm. driven enough to still want to do the sport, I was going to be around even if, if, if I didn't have a sponsor, um, where mm. I think some people, and I'm not using Alex or Chris as an example of that, but like, I think often you do get people that get into the sport wanting to make a career out of it. And it can be a hard career to make. And if you don't have that support, you suddenly are like grappling with what, like this existential crisis of like, what am I doing with my life? What am I going to do next? And then going back to school or like taking like a pause is more challenging where I think if you come in a little more established personally, it's easier to, to continue on, um, through the hardships. Brett, any final thoughts? Yeah, those were great. I mean, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I have to say I have like hot takes entering the sport that I do or don't believe. I didn't have to. Well, I guess my hottest take prior to entering the sport was that I didn't know it was possible for anybody on this earth to run more than a hundred miles without stopping. If their name wasn't Dean Carnassus. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was the only person who like had the human capabilities to run that far. 
slash that fast, like in one shot, like hundred miles, like did a Ragnar by himself. I'm like, this dude's a freak. And then I started working at Rogue Valley Runners and that all got debunked pretty quickly. <laughs> um, and like that, that if anything almost led me to not having that many hot takes entering the sport because I got to see it like real time, like unfold. Like I got to see it at face value of like professional runners like doing professional runner things and then seeing it day in and day out like it's it was a very unique situation to be in to be like to have Hal Kerner as my boss and like you know David Laney and Ryan Gelfie being my co-workers um and so just getting to see that I'm like oh yeah like this this sports this is a real thing and like you can't just be some fast college kid and go straight in and have success um because like I mean, while a lot of people would argue that they both did have lots of success, they also did get their asses kicked a lot. And I think that's something right. like in, yeah. in ultra running is kind of similar to, um, I, again, I hate baseball, but it just is the first thing that pops into my head is like, you know, like, I don't know, Finn, you like baseball, right? I used to be a fan. Okay. So like in the steroid you, era, you, in the steroid era, oh, uh, we didn't talk about anti-doping. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I know. I was like, what era are we in? <laughs> um, the, uh, like successful batters, like batting 200 or 300 or something like that, probably like, and I mean, the, there's a parallel to ultra running, like, unless you're the Courtney or the gym, most of us fail more often than not. If you're, if we're using the metric of winning races as the, the barometer of success, like it's hard to win races, like, especially as we do start to like, you know, uh, consolidate things into more competitive fields. So like the days of, I'll use it, um, you know, respectfully cherry picking like a a hundred mile race is really hard. Like that just doesn't really exist anymore because the depth of any field like is going to be better. And you know, than it was 10 or 15 years ago. And it's going to be the same way in 10 or 15 years from now, people are going to look back at us and be like, man, Brett and Tim were able to like cherry pick these races and get sponsorships. And like, and now we're running UTMB in 18 hours and, you know, people are breaking 10 hours for the track hundred miler, you know? So like, you know, you're a product of your generation, but I think that it, it, and that's a cool thing as a fan, it just keeps getting the, the bar, the bars keep getting pushed. Like, I hope they keep getting pushed ethically and it's something that as a community, we can be proud of hot take in five to 10 years, we're going to start seeing the front runners at races taking in their calories intravenously on the run. That sounds very dangerous. And also it's against WADA code to take any IV. So it's, it, it's not allowed. Well, actually, because we're not governed by anyone, there are independent races. I was saying just trail running, even at it, have to adhere to that. No, <laughs> That's but what I was saying, but that is like, so a tangent, we don't have to do it now, but real, real sh- short. Um, as I dive into like what it would take to have a global framework of anti-doping, which is something I really care about. And there are a lot of people in our sport that Mm. do that will be one of the things we have to address is who's going to be the governing body. Um, and if there isn't a governing body, let's say we, we, we use USADA or WADA world anti-doping agency and United States anti-doping agency. If we use them to enforce our doping, um, tests and, and, um, and interpretations that they're accredited labs, they can recommend sanctions, but then who's going to enforce the sanction if we're not governed by anybody. 
it will be left to the individual mm-hmm. races or or, or um, uh, race series or individual events. So that then it's kind of like, hey, athlete X has a four year doping ban that was recommended by USADA, but X, Y, and Z races don't adhere to that. They could potentially still race in these races. So you know, there, there's a lot to tackle, but I. I am committed that I think that we will find something. Mm, yep. Right on. Yeah. I think, yeah, there needs to be, we need, they need to figure out random out of competition testing. And I mean, the, the cool, th- like, I think the that, coo- that would level up the, the sport. cool thing is like, okay. So like Jason Coop, he's been working on kind of a framework for years and had the ear of people in USADA and was getting really close. But then, you know, one of those people moved on and ultimately it comes down to funding um, is, well, that mm-hmm. is a big part funding, but really as I've gotten into these conversations with him and others, the funding shouldn't be a barrier to implementing this. And I think when you have all stakeholders involved and have a vested interest, the funding's going to take care of it. Like, and, and I'm talking brands, races, series, possibly athletes, agents, coaches, like, because I think all of yeah. us want to protect what we have. And if we all share that cost and it, and it's not insurmountable and it's not even, uh, you know, unrealistic, but I, I think if we can get everyone on the same page, we're able to fund something like this. And it's going to involve like, you know, a, a worldwide system of probably, you know, cl- up to 250 athletes where you could have two random out of competition tests, one in competition test minimum, you know, targeted like additional tests. If we have, you know, a hotline with tips and other, like kind of the way they have the, the marathon scene and, and uh, track and field. But I just think that like, mm-hmm. as the sport grows, we want to protect what we have. Um, and everyone benefits and like, and I know there are arguments like, well then like get away from prize money. We don't need any of this in the sport, but I, I'm a believer that I think that, you know, we should be cultivating the top end of the sport because along with being a participatory sport, it is an entertainment sport and it's a, an, yes. it's a, an avenue for great sport and competition and like people to make livings. But I think that as it grows, we can protect it by implementing these things and do it thoughtfully. And I'm always concerned like of that argument of like, oh, if you just don't have like prize money or like, you know, recognition, people won't cheat. But I don't think that's true. I think people always exploit systems. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's a minority, but people will. And if it's totally unregulated, the worst case is it trickles down into youth sports because we see that in others, football, baseball, a lot of, and like, you don't want there ever to be that potential of like, you know, kids thinking that this is the norm in any sort of, you know, sporting culture. And I think it like in cycling, like cycling is a good example. It's just, it's, Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Well, and on that note, Brett, (laughs) no, seriously. Hey, this is, this has been, this, I think this is our longest long run archives to date. And for good reason, this has been seriously awesome. I'll go publicly on the record, Brett, I'm sure you agree. Anytime you want to come on, standing invite to join for a future episode of this. It's been an absolute blast. Um, yep. I breaking news. Uh, just let us know. Yeah, breaking. breaking yeah, breaking. We'll yeah, uh, we'll do it ad hoc. Yeah, this has been great. Oh, uh, thank you guys. And you know, I, I think it's it's really cool what you guys are doing. And like what we talked about earlier, like anyone that's creating something, I have an immense amount of like just respect for what you're trying to do because. Like even in like you're a good case case example or case study of like go back and look at your you're pumping out so much content and probably getting minimal engagement. 
but you continue to do it. It was myself and my mom that listened for like 10 months. Right, but like you stuck with it. I mean, that's the ultra spirit. Like, and I think that's probably a good like way to wrap it up of like kids out there or young, like anyone that's getting into our sport, like play the long game, you know, invest in the slow burn. I think one of the most underrated talents in our sport is just the ability to endure and put in the daily work and let that stack up year after year after year after year after year. Eventually it comes together. Amen. Thanks for listening. Before we sign off, if you are a fan of the show, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player, a donation on Patreon, or the use of our sponsor discount codes in the show notes. We really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.